Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is uh, 8-21-2022, and we're continuing with the thought of the week and prayer. Go right ahead, Dave. Okay, thought of the week. Take it from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that former you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves their circumcision which is done in the body by human hands. When Paul gave his Jewish resume in Philippians 3, he started by saying, circumcised on the eighth day, this was a badge of honor for the Jews, and they didn't mind making it a, a distinction. We are not to think the Jews were not affected by, by their separation attitudes. To call himself the to call themselves a circumcision was the emphasis their comment of which circumcision was a physical sign. Paul, running out in between a baptism of the spirit and the physical right of circumcision, wrote, "In him you also are circumcised, and then putting off the sympathization, not with a circumcision done by." the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. The baptism of the Spirit is our sign that we belong to the body of Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Obviously, no physical sign is required to be in the body of Christ. It is through the gospel that we are all baptized by the Spirit into one body. Spirit baptism is not a physical act. It is a spiritual act and a result of our salvation. It happens for everyone who believes in Christ in this age. If therefore is any prior to take away from this, it will be to glorify the work of God on our behalf. Take it from the thought of the week. Okay, so I'm just trying to let you get his head over to talk. We'll go to lead into prayer. Thank you, Dave. Uh, let's go right into it. We will ask if there are um, any special prayer requests that they would like to voice. We'll pause for just a moment. Okay, so we know there are prayer requests that all of us have in our own hearts and minds. And whether we voice them publicly or, or not, God, God knows what those are. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Father. Uh, we come this morning with grateful hearts, with hearts of gratitude and wonder as we think about what you have made of us and what you have created. Thank you for uh, this so great salvation that we have, which uh, our Lord blazed the trail. He paid the price. He performed all the work necessary to save us completely so that when we are saved, we have eternal life and we will not come into judgment. And um, it is permanent. We don't have a salvation that doesn't save. We have a salvation that does save. So we thank you, Father, for the completeness, the, as you have told us about your, your so great salvation, of how it is free. It does not cost us anything. It is by grace, through faith. So, Father, we, we also thank you for Word is Truth, those that are present and those that are not here today. We, we have an extended family. I know I've received a prayer request for Misty in particular, asking for a special prayer for her and her family. Also, Father, we want to ask prayer for each family that is uh, represented here today. 
if we look into each one, there are particular things that we would want to lay at your feet and ask for your guidance, and your healing, and your comfort and well-being for each family member that is on our hearts. Well, you told us that you want us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. We can't do that when we're worried about loved ones and the cares of this world. So, Father, we pray for that focus that we are able to take those things uh, that may cause us anxiety and place them at your feet. So we thank you for this family, and we, we extend that out to believers all over the world, wherever they are. And we pray that we will all be one and uh, an experience, that we will come to the understanding of this new revelation that you gave us 2,000 years ago, to, that this is what we will grow into and become uh, a part of, take our part in, in the plan that you have revealed for us. And so, Father, we also pray for unbelievers, those who don't know Christ, that they may come to the knowledge of, of the, your Son and, and put their faith in him and, and be saved eternally as well. And so, Father, anything we can do, any way you can use us, we, we are here as ambassadors, as ministers of reconciliation, Father, that we can um, perhaps help those who are in this world, to become saved by your grace. So we thank you for this, and we pray that as we open your word, that you will give me wisdom so that I can hopefully clearly present that which you have put on, on our hearts for today. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 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 All right, so... Here we are, we are in John chapter 17 and verse 23. We started this last week, we did not finish. <clears throat> We're going to take another stab at it today. So you should have notes, John 17, 23 says, I in them and you in me, so, they may, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So there is an interesting theme in these last verses of Jesus' prayer. It is, quote, Then the world will know that you sent me, unquote. That's verse, found in verse 23. It came to me that if it is important to Jesus and the Father that the world knows about this, then it must be vitally important for us, the church, to know about this marvelous work done in us. Are you aware of what the Father is doing in this age? In one way, we can see that the Trinity is proud of what they are accomplishing in us. Quote, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus, unquote. That's Ephesians 2, 7. And rightfully so. For we are God's greatest achievement as we live in Christ. This, quote, new creation has been around uh, for about 2,000 years. And we say new creation because it's unique. It's been around for about 2,000 years now, and for many, it is still a mystery. That's what we're talking about, the new creation, the uniqueness of it. And Jesus is laying out what, our, what it's going to look like for us, what's going to happen. For the disciples, they need to know what's next. I mean, they could say, Lord, what's next? He said, here's what's next. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to... You're going to, I'm going to go through the death, burial, and resurrection. I'm going to ascend, and Pentecost will come. So they had clear instructions from Christ. And then even more detail was given. Well, when the Spirit comes, this is what he's going to do. This is what will happen. In fact, there will be a new spiritual dynamic created. 
in this group of people who will believe in me through the disciples' message. And uh, he, he laid it out, these dynamics. And that's what we've been talking about, how uh, our spiritual lives, what consists of our spiritual lives in this, in this age that Jesus is talking about. So I, I'd say we need to pay careful attention to this. And I will just say that the world, the Christian world, has looked at the baptism of the Spirit in all the wrong ways. Not everybody, of course. But they haven't taken their lead from Jesus. They have looked at it from the standpoint of emotion, uh, miracles, signs, and wonders, uh, from the standpoint of um, baptism. Well, you need to be baptized physically in water. All these things that prevailed and dominated the thinking, uh, and it left us ignorant about what the baptism of the Spirit actually says. And where do we, how do we, or, or should mean, how do we understand what the baptism of the Spirit should mean? It's because Jesus is telling us what it should accomplish. And then as we take that and we match that up with what we have in the New Testament from Paul and John and Peter and others, then we realize, okay, so this is the realization of what Jesus is saying. This is the fulfillment of what he told us. So, as we look at these verses, we want to understand how important they are. Because Jesus is setting the tone for the church age. He is not just telling us, oh, let me tell you about some parables. He's telling us important features that we need to understand about who we are. So, let's get into it. I know we, um, don't, we have limited time. So, let's do this. Um, we covered a lot of detail already. We cannot go over it again. I and them and you and me, point number one, point number two, is so that they may be brought to complete unity. So we covered hina, right, in order that. So we have a, these prepositional phrases that are just one piled on top of the other. But in each one of them, we got more and more detail. It's all about the detail, isn't it? That's what it comes down to. Jesus is giving us that. So we went all the way down. We didn't finish point number two. I think we got all the way down, and we'll cover, um, let's start at F and G. We'll quickly cover those to get to where I'm, I think we left off. F, to F. If we are not graced with these qualities, then we will not be exactly like Christ, his body, the fullness of him. That's Ephesians 1.23. So the, again, we got Paul telling us detail about ourselves as his body, the church, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Right? These are more and more details that we have when we talk, we're talking about fullness. Fullness, this is important. This is a quality or a feature, an asset, you might say, of uh, the church that we are just like the person of Christ. Now, Christ himself is not just uh, the Word. It is the Word who has become flesh. So it's the, the new man, right? The, as it says, the man from heaven in 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-five through 49. The man from heaven, the heavenly man, he is termed. Uh, both <clears throat> the feature of the fact that he is divine and he is human at the same time. Right? Well, in one person, we will say, forever. This is the unique creation. And, you know, that, as I think about that, and I know this isn't in the notes, but it takes me all the way back to John 3.16, <laughs> when it says God sent his uniquely born son. And there's uh, that term, which everybody kind of knows, monogenes. What does that mean? Right? Some, some people have translated it, uniquely born, his one and only son, and... Right? So there's something about Christ that is unique, and it's expressed right there. 
There is none like Christ. He is uniquely born, his one and only son, only begotten son. How does that, what is that a reference? It's a reference to the uniqueness of Christ. And not only does he have all the salvation complete in his hands, right? In other words, he's performed all the work necessary for salvation. But if we pivot from Christ, talk about his uniqueness, we find that his body, the church, is born through him. And we are just like him, just as I read. His, we are just like his body, the fullness of him. We are the church. These are all titles that we have. and But all of them speak about how we are just like Christ. So he was going to build his church, and he is busy building it even as we speak. So that, that's a G. If we are not equipped as Christ is, this is 2G, then the Father's eternal purpose cannot be realized. And that's why when the Father thought of his monogenes, his Christ, his per, the person who not only does the salvation work, but the person who the new creation will be patterned after. And I like that, because when we think about it in 1 Corinthians 15, it is spoken of as there's the first Adam, and there's the last Adam. The first Adam, we're all patterned after, right? just like he is, that's what we are in our human nature. But the, even in Adam's fall, we even share that part of it. But then the last Adam... Well, we take on his properties. And he's unique. He's not just a man, but he's a glorified man. And he's divinity as well. This new person who is Christ, right? The only begotten Son of God, the uniquely born one. We take on his properties. And without us, there is no him. Without him, there is no us. So why do I say that? I could be selfish and say, well, you know, because we're somebody. But I say that because of the Father's plan to bring us through him. And if that's not happening, then it's not Christ who fails. It's the Father who fails. Let's just put it this way. It's not only Christ who fails, but it's also the Father who fails. Same way we were talking about Israel. If God called Israel as a nation to be special, to be their special nation... And if Israel, God foresaw them, he saw them from before time began, he elected them, he chose them, you know, he predestined them, and all of that, then if Israel fails, what does that say about God? Saying that God's plan failed for Israel. That won't happen, because Israel will not fail, and neither will the church. church will succeed, as we have already seen the end of the story. So, point G is important. It has to be realized in order for the Father's plan to come to fruition. That's the reality of it. If we, if God has equipped us to be exactly what he wanted us to be. And there's a verse in John 17.10 that kind of speaks to that. John 17.10, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. He's talking to the Father. He's talking about the giving himself fully to the Father, mutual possession because of the relationship they have. And glory has come to me through them. Notice how glory has come to Christ. It is through the fulfillment of the Father's plan. That is through us. Okay, let's get back into it. Uh, into our notes here. Point H. Brought to complete unity. So this is the part where it says, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And we don't want to lose sight of the context, because the context is, remember, uh, I and them and you and me. And then he's expanding on that point, uh, so that they may be brought to complete oneness. Now, it already said we're one, but the, the thing that is added is in the previous verse which which says i have given them the glory 
that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. And then he's expanding on what that means, because that's profound. And I mean, to say that we have the very glory that Christ has, or that he spoke to the Father about, and said, now, Father, glorify me because I finished the work you gave me to do. Glorify me with the glory that we saw, that we spoke of, that we already saw in the plan before the world began. This is it. We're in what we might call glory time right now. Because, why? Because right now, God is calling out those many sons were into glory. We're in a glorious time. This is an age of glory because we're those sons that the Father planned for from eternity past before time began. Eternity past before, the same thing. Before the world was created. We're the ones that, was be, that God spoke about. He, he was saying that he was going to bring. And now, as we live and breathe, we are fulfilling that plan. This is what Christ says. All I have is yours. All you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. It's time for glory. This time he's been talking about. As he's, right now, it's not happened yet. But he's preparing the disciples for what's about to happen in this age. So, so, so getting back to our context, that all of them may be one father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. And you believe that the world has sent me. And I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Expound on that more. Tell us more. I in them and you in me. That's what it means. So that they may be brought to complete unity. So let's look at that. I'm trying to uh, talk about that complete unity again. Well, let's look at that. So that's point H. Brought to com it, complete is tel teleio, right? Well, it's 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 the same word that we talk about: perfect or mature. Uh, so to make perfect, complete, to carry through completely, to accomplish, to finish, to bring to an end, to complete, to perfect, or per or perfect. So, um, when you think about that word, it is a word that has, there's a process to it. So, brought somewhere even tells us the word brought to complete unity. So, so God has given us glory that we may be one as they are one, right? So that we may be brought somewhere. And this somewhere is complete oneness. It already said that we're one. A complete oneness will speak of the finished product, the finished work. So it's not; it doesn't mean that we somehow are going to get to maturity. This is not a, even though God does want us to grow to maturity. And how do we grow in knowledge and wisdom? And then that knowledge and wisdom obviously will affect us in the world because we'll be saying things and and being and and, and showing the world that we are different because of the wisdom and knowledge we have and the foundation that we have and they will hate us just like they hated Christ and uh, they may even kill us they will persecute us but don't worry because if we suffer for Christ as far as the Father is concerned that's an honorable thing we have been granted not only to believe in him and have salvation but also to suffer with him that is a badge of honor as far as the Father is concerned. You should know that. Not to worry. Okay, in this world, you're going to suffer with Christ if you are living godly in Christ Jesus. You will suffer persecution. There's no doubt about it. So that complete oneness doesn't... It's not a reference to our maturity in terms of our knowledge and wisdom... It is a reference to the Father's plan being complete, meaning he is calling out those many sons into glory. What would make our oneness complete when the whole body is called out? When everybody who God saw from eternity past, that he chose in Christ, is actually 
now brought to be in Christ. That's what it means, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And so this is the Father's ideal for the church. How, do, how is it that we, were, we are brought to complete unity? That is when the last person who the Father saw from eternity past, where it says he chose us in him before the creation of the world, that last person is uh, on the scene. God gives them life, and they come to believe in Christ, and they realize the call that the Father has put over their life. That, not that they realize it, but that it happens. Because we know we're in the midst of the church here where a lot of people don't talk about the things we're talking about. They don't, this is not, to them, this is talk that is not something that they're involved in. They don't preach it, they don't talk it. And even though it is a part of our, who we are in Christ. But, so we're not talking about, so, but it doesn't mean if they're saved, they're still in the body of Christ. They just are ignorant about their calling. It's just like what Paul said in Romans 6. What know ye not? I like what it says in the King James Version. What know ye not? <laughs> yeah, 6. That lets you know that people may be in the church age, <clears throat> but they're not aware of what's going on in the church age. So we would say that they, if we're talking, you know, their spiritual maturation, we would say they're babes, like the Corinthians. They didn't, even though they were in Christ, they didn't know what the details were of their spiritual lives. So this brought to complete unity is important because it speaks of perfection, completeness, a finished work, Right? To accomplish, to finish, <clears throat> bring to an end. Well, how would that be? It's not re a reference to our spiritual maturity. It is a reference to the Father's plan being fulfilled that all of us may be one. See, this is, if it goes right back to verse 21. <clears throat> my Or 20, my prayer is not for them alone. My pr I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. That, so he's not just talking to the disciples, he's talking to all of us in this age, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So he's talking about the complete family of the church, not just a couple people who believed after, not like Barnabas and a few others who believe, and Timothy, and we can go on. But he's talking about all of us as a whole. Now, even though each of us have this dynamic going on inside of us, as the thought of the week says, all of us were baptized by the Spirit. And I put that thought in there because to join Israel, what did you need to be? Circumcised. That's a sign of the covenant. Well, Paul made an analogy between circumcision there and the baptism of the Spirit, how it unites us to the person of Christ. It, it puts us into the body of Christ. So that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. But so, so when we're at verse 23, when he says, I and them and you and me, he's explaining that further, so that they may be brought to complete unity. So what do I say? Not just complete unity, but that goes to our next point, which is I, brought to complete unity. How would I want, like to translate that then? Right. Oh, oh, actually, point I is just complete is teleo, but unity is translated heist. Right? Heist is one. It's the primary numeral one. Right. It really is just the number one. It just means one. So complete, so point J, brought to complete unity. We did not have this oneness to start, right? But salvation uh, doesn't give us this oneness unless you're in this age we're in. But through the tireless work of the Trinity, like what they have done, uh, bringing many sons into glory, undertaking this plan from eternity past and executing it in time and through creation, we are brought to perfect completed, finished oneness.
And that's how we could say it. Finished, completed, perfected oneness. And that perfection has to do with, like Christ says, and glory has come to me through them. In other words, not only is the Father glorified, but the Son is glorified in Christ. Because he's the one on whom all of this depends. So it's the completed, the finished, the oneness. And when, he's, when, when these words are used, it is not just talking about our individual spiritual growth. It's talking about the Father's plan being completed. So, so that the, when he talks about the world may believe, well, because then when, when God is finished with us and we are glorified, boy, will the world be changed as a result of who we are in Christ. And it, it doesn't even say in Romans 8, right? If you read this, I'm going to go to Romans 8 real quick. Keep your finger where we are there. Romans 8 doesn't even say Christ, right? It, it talks about the sons of God being revealed. So if I start at verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. It's not talking about just Christ because Christ alone, that's one thing. But what God planned for in Christ, when that comes to fruition, when that comes to the reality, to the table, then that's what the Father wanted. And what else? For the creation waits in eager expectation. For who? The children of God. That's us. You would think it would say it waits for Christ because he's the focal point, you would think, right? Of all things, Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes out of heaven, thundering into the earth and all that, right? People preach, but here it's not talking about him. Guess all these fantastic things that are happening that he's mentioning here that stretch back to the very creation of all things. These, this is dependent on the children of God to be revealed. The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of who? Christ, the children of God. Now, to know, we should know that Christ, it is really the glory that, that Christ earned but it is the glory that we share as those who are in Christ, which this speaks of the Father's plan. Huh. I can tell you that when I see all this, I realize it is more confirmation of what we are speaking about when it says brought to complete unity. So, so we didn't have this to start, but, but it's going to be so. All of this is going to come to pass. We will get there. And like I said, through the tireless work of the Trinity, they are still at work in each of us. The Father is at work. The Son is at work. And, and so is the Holy Spirit at work. Trying to bring this to perfect oneness. In other words, to complete what the Father planned for the church from eternity past. Let's keep going. I think we have a lot more to say here. Let's keep going. Point number three is then... The world will know that you sent me. Okay, so that, there's that phrase again that, that we saw before. And we, we dealt with that phrase before. But then something struck me, struck me as a little different about this phrase. So we're just going to go through more detail on then. Since it's here in the text again, we don't want to just say, yeah, it's the same thing we said last time. No, let's just read it in context. So point A, perfect oneness was always the goal. Then the world, right? In other words, in order that the world will know, right? So there's that word hina again. I think we covered that. By the time we're finished with all this, I hope you do tuck a few of these Greek words under your belt and you remember them because they're pivotal. And as in teaching... As we get how John is teaching, how Paul is teaching, they draw conclusions about some of the things they say. And these are teachers' techniques of how to emphasize certain things, to give more detail. How? Let's pivot off of that word and that thought onto another thought. So I hope you 
take some time to appreciate the teaching that goes on here in the Bible and how the Holy Spirit continues to build in our souls, our spirits, so that we can learn more about what God has told us and, and what he has said about us. So, so that's perfect oneness, right? It, that was always the goal. It, it always was and it will be until it's complete. Then the world, right? So then we get this phrase, then the world will know, right? So in other words, that then the world will, will know it is a part of what he just said earlier about the oneness and the glory and all of that. Then the world will know. I just read to you <clears throat> the creation itself. All rational creatures will come to the understanding of what God has done through the church. All rational creatures will understand that. It is something that will impact the elect angels, the fallen angels, the, the believers, unbelievers. Everybody will be affected by what God has done through the church because it is his eternal purpose. Point B. We are witnessing Paul tie together each important detail about our calling with one, each verse giving us more and more detail. And I've illustrated this teaching method in Ephesians 1.23. Can we please just turn there and look at it? And if, if I'm saying this, as I say, we should tuck a few of these Greek words under a belt, you should be tucking some of these Bible verses that specifically pertain to you under your belt. Let's just not even say under your belt. That's old. In your heart. You should be keeping them in your heart because this is who you are. This is what God has said about you. He declared about you. You need to make sure that you know these are aspects, assets, features about who you are. Very important. So, I'm going to look at 122. And God placed all things under his feet. He's talking about Christ because the analogy is about Christ, but really the analogy is about us. So if you read one, <clears throat> verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. So he's talking about us that hopefully we come to know this, that we open up our eyes and see this. You know, there's a term that is used today. It's called being woke. I'm not using that term the way the world does it. But I think I'd like to borrow it, if I may. And to be woke means that the eyes of your heart are enlightened in order you know the hope. You be woke according to the hope that is given to us, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So now there's two things. <clears throat> there's the inheritance, and, that's the, and it is the position to which we have been raised. And he gives an analogy, well, perfect analogy. How much more perfect could it be that Christ is our uh, analogy and what God did for him, well, he says it's the same thing that he did for us. Verse 19, that power is the same as his mighty strength when he exerted. When he, so there he is, it's the same as Christ. When he, exer, when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand, in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. There's a lot there. And this is the verse I wanted you to focus on. The two verses, that is. And God placed all things under his feet and pointed him to be head over everything for the church. Now, he says to church, he could have just left it there. Now, I'm going to tell you, it is all about the detail. Remember we, we said that. So you could talk on the surface. Well, that's like I gave you the analogy. The, the little girl asking the father, what is that big building over there? That's a bank. Oh, okay, good. But then the little girl gets older and she wants more detail. So the same thing with us. As we grow in grace, we get more and more detail so that meat can come on our bones. 
and that we can be able to understand more and more of what the Father's plan is. You should know it, 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 there is more. So in these verses, there you have it, the church. He gives us the name, the title, the church. But then in verse 23, he continues with more information, which is his body. Another analogy that's so united to the person of Christ that we are said to be his body. Remember, from Adam, the woman was created from a part of... He didn't, she didn't, God didn't just form the woman from the dust of the ground. He could have done that because he did that with Adam. He, Adam was formed from the dust of the ground and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And then Adam became a living soul. He could have did that for the woman, but he didn't. He put Adam to sleep, took a rib from Adam. So the woman is a part of who she, who he is. It's not just uh, another like Adam, but it is the same as Adam. The woman was built from Adam's rib. And so is the church built from the unique person, Christ, the monogenes. The, the, that's why if anybody is in Christ, well, they share everything he has. They are the new creation. The new creation has come. So look at this, his body. And then it talks about the fullness of him. But then you could even go further and say, who fills everything in every way. So the detail given. And we're not going to stop and talk about all the detail, which we could because there's a lot there to, to speak of. But I'm trying to make the point that we ought to see that we are being taught by the Spirit. And these verses are very important to our spiritual understanding of who we are in Christ. Are we talking about that? That's so why I said Paul ties it together, uh, each important detail about our calling with each verse giving us more and more detail. It adds. And you don't like, oh, this is a nice thing we learned, Doug, about who we are in Christ. Let me put that on the shelf in the important section. No, you know where that belongs? In your heart. You walk around with that every day, knowing you're a son, knowing you're a child of God, knowing that the Spirit testifies with your spirit, all of those things. And if you're a son, then you're heir of God. And all of that is a part of who we are as we walk around in this world. This world is not who we are anymore. It's not our home. We don't belong down here, we could say. And even though there is an aspect to who we are, just like there's an aspect to who Christ is, that he had to bring many sons into glory. He, there were things that had to happen. He had to come through the human race. So it is. So we came through the human race. And the dungeon part of it, being born in sin and shaping in iniquity. And yet, here we stand in Christ. And these are things that we want to keep, cherish in our hearts about ourselves. These are not things that just put on a shelf and say, okay, let's continue on with our lives like, the, like everybody else. We are different. These things have made us different. These are not just things written in the Bible that we could just muse over. These are things that have changed the course of human history, of angelic history. These, God has made changes about himself in these declarations about what he has done for us. These are monumental changes, not some little change. Oh, yeah, well, we're supposed to now be the church. But no, there's, what does that mean? Something new that God created for a purpose. All of that is part of what I'm trying to say. When, when Paul says this phrase, when Paul says that in Ephesians 1.23, and so is Jesus saying that, then the world will know that you sent me. Point C in our notes. As each part of the plan is accomplished, we see it as the key to open other doors. For instance, our oneness with Christ opened the door to our oneness with the Father. 
So we saw that earlier in 21, John 17, 21, where all of us are one, and then Christ extended that oneness, the same, just as, in the same way as, you are in me and I am in you. Wow, is that instructive. Can we say, well, we're just one in, because we have the same motivation. No, <laughs> no. Ontologically, we're one with the Father, with the Son. There's a change in essence that has happened to us because of this. And Christ is telling us that we are not to dismiss that as trivial or to marginalize that as, oh, well, we're, isn't, isn't our salvation great? The fact that he saved us and we have eternal life. He's not talking about that. He's talking about something that goes beyond that. And if you don't have eyes to see or ears to hear, we pray that you will have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. That's what's important. Right, so this is, that was point C. <clears throat> One thing leads to another. And I hope you, as you build your spiritual life on these divine principles, that it will be rich. That you will see that we, we are not just hanging by a thread. You know, we, we have the, the purpose for what God has planned is the reason for all things existing in the first place. We're not something that happened after that. We are something that happened and, and all things exist because of what God saw in the church. Point D, the world will know. What, what does that say to me now? It says that God is very proud of what he accomplished and how he accomplished it in the church. Imagine that. Imagine God stepping back and saying, I'm proud of what was accomplished. It was a plan fulfilled. There's a plan complete. You know, there, you know, on a very small scale, when we talk about glory, on the one hand, we could say that, let's say a famous car maker. I remember when I was growing up, what was it? Some, the car was a sob. You know, I always thought, Man, I'd love to get a sob. Yeah, I don't want one anymore, right? But I'm just saying, when I was, there was a point in my life when I rode in somebody's sob and I thought, wow, this is a cool car. Everything is designed so that when you sit in it, it's perfect. You know, your hand falls here and this is exactly where the that is and this is the, where the this is and, and everything works perfectly, perfectly. But you know what I was really saying when I liked that car, when I was glorifying that car? I was glorifying the designer of that car. I was saying that this car is exceptional because look at the way it was designed, was designed special. Not just like other cars, they just, yeah, needed a, a way to roll down the window. Oh, how did they do it? Okay. Well, no, the way they did it was this way because they thought about it. And so it glorifies the designer of the car. And that's what we're talking about, the achievement glory. Imagine a person who designed that Porsche. Well, no, it was a Saab. <laughs> designed the Saab. And then they finally got the car exactly the way they wanted it. And they finally step back and they look at it. That's one thing to say. Yeah, that's, I got what I wanted. But you know how others receive what you have done makes the full determination. If it's a hit, if that sob didn't sell, if that sob was, what was that car? Not this, was it the Studebaker? <laughs> that never, that came and it didn't sell many, it was a flop. Eventually they stopped making them because it, it just, the car just was not popular. People didn't like it. Well, the real glory is that people, not just you love the design, but others love the design of that car. And the Father is aware 
that this plan not only will affect us, those of us who are a part of the plan, but it will affect the rational beings that he created uh, that are not in the plan. And they will benefit some from what is created as well. So that's important. So the father is literally taking a step back. He's, he, he keeps this phrase, and the world will know that you sent me. And he's not just saying that you sent me so that you, I could be the savior of the world, because he's, he's just told us about all this unique stuff in our unique age. He's not just talking about the work of, you know, I'm dying for the sins of the world. He's talking about that they may be one, that they may see my glory. I'm going to give them the glory. All of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And I want everybody to see this. This is important. That the world, I'm, God is saying I'm proud of what was accomplished in the church. And not only that, just look at how I did it. I had to do it righteously. I couldn't just haphazardly throw th some things together. It had to be a well-thought-out plan. And for Christ to say, and now, Father, uh, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world began. That means that a plan was already created. There was a certain future that the Father was going to put in place for all creation. It says it was all, for him to see the glory in it already. <laughs> that is to say, he saw this point at the end of the church age when he had finished the, the church in its entirety. And he saw what he accomplished before time began, before the world was, before he put it into play, he saw this certain future. And he chose this certain future. And Christ is also on board with that. He saw it as well. And he's saying, now, Father, it's glory time. Time to bring those many sons out of the world and in me, so that they are one as we are one. It's time. So this phrase, now the world will know, now the world will understand, now the world will finally get who I am. This is God having an inner desire that finally works itself out. We're seeing what that is in the mystery how the, the universe was created. What was the motivation behind all things? We're seeing it come out full circle. Imagine that. Point E in our notes. We're moving forward. The world will see the eternal purpose of the Father through us. It is, and Remember, it is not a mystery anymore. So we could say... Oh, he hid it from ages and past generations. It was hid in God. It was hid from angels. Angels didn't know anything about the mystery. Gentiles didn't know anything about it. Jews didn't know anything about it. Well, the cat's out of the bag now. Right now, God's eternal purpose is here for all to see. Obviously, he's not finished. He's not at the point where he's saying, hey, let me show him off now. In the future ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness through us. He's not at that point yet. But boy, is, it, is the ball rolling. It's going to happen. I like what Paul says in Ephesians 1. This is what he says, and this is not in your notes. Verse, um, here it is. Um, I think it's, yeah, verse 12. In order that we, who are the first, Paul says, to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Well, there it is. Paul's saying, we're the first generation. We are. We're the first ones to realize the Father's plan fully 
Paul is saying, I understand. And, and I'm in that generation. We who are the first to put our hope in Christ. Well, he's not talking about the first people to, to believe in Christ. For salvation, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about what the Father had chose us from before time began. And now, we're to the praise. We're for the praise of his glory. That Paul is recognizing. Are you recognizing? I don't know what. We're not in that generation. We're not in the first generation of the church. But you know what? It doesn't matter. That all of them may be one father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in All of us are one. So we identify. Yeah, Paul was the first generation. But it doesn't matter. We have the same assets, the same qualities that Jesus is talked about, that all of us would have, that we fulfill Christ in that same way as uh, Paul did and Peter, and James, and all the rest of them. We identify. They are brothers. They're part of the new creation. So, uh, continuing in our notes, let's see, that was point E. The world will see the eternal purpose of the Father through us. Remember, it is not a mystery anymore. You should know. Uh, we don't have to hide this information this is information that should be out there. It's okay. And you know, people are going to think you're kooky and crazy and nutty. But you know what? You're, we're also going to be biblical. Those who are taught by the spirit of truth. What is, what is truth? Truth is the word, right? That your word is truth. And we have the spirit of truth to help us understand what that means. So Christ... This is point F. Christ is the image of the invisible God. So when we see that, uh, that's Colossians 1.15. This is a unique role. The visible Christ must reveal to the in, uh, re must reveal the invisible God, and we also share this unique role. So uh, I, I don't obviously we're not going to finish today with all that uh, we're, we, we set out to do here. We're not going to finish. But we'll come back next week. But notice who this person of Christ, this unique person, he's the image of the invisible God. I like what he says here about being God being invisible. And now Christ is able to reveal something about God but not just, okay, here's, here's a snapshot of who I am, and this is what I looked like 10 years ago, like people do on social media. They'll put their picture up there, but it's a picture that was way back when they looked their best, right? But what we see in Christ, the Father says, that's exactly who I am. If you want to know what, what I am and my being in essence, look at the person of Christ. He fully represents who I am. And this is going to be the role that God says we also have in him. We're not going to finish this point, but we're going to revisit this next week. There's much more to talk about, especially when it comes to love. Uh, we're going to deal, we're going to jump into that next week. I'm sure we'll get there because of where we are now in our text, our, our notes, that is. So uh, let's, let's come back next week. Let's talk more about uh, this subject. Let's take our time. Let's not rush through it. Let's take our time and get through it. So let's bow our heads and pray. Thank you, Father. We're so happy that as we think about the glorious future and destiny that belongs to us. We just want to thank you for choosing us in him before the creation of the world. We didn't choose you. You chose us. And all we're doing is acknowledging your choices and your sovereign grace over our lives and that we belong to you. Just as 
our Lord said, they were yours, you gave them to me, and now they have obeyed your word. So you chose us, Father. We thank you for your grace, your sovereign grace, and bringing us through the door of salvation so that we can see the calling that is over our lives. So, Father, we, as we close, we, we ask you protect us in this world, keep us safe through the power of your name. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.